Good morning, Taylor Nation. We are so happy you decided to join us this morning. What a blessed and beautiful morning it is. We just are so excited to have you with us this morning for worship. We're coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is Taylor Tabernacle Live, where Pastor Jonathan E. Ford uh, is our, our elder. We are so happy that you joined us this morning via YouTube or live stream or Facebook or what have you, but we are just glad to have you in the number one more time. Hey, let's go to the throne of grace and let's talk to the Lord. I apologize. Alexa has decided she wanted to chime in this morning, but let's go to the throne of grace. Most holy and wise Father, we thank you this morning. We bless and praise your holy name. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you, Lord, that you brought us once again to rise in our right mind, Lord, able to put foot to floor, Lord, and able to articulate your praise, Lord. You said if we don't praise you, you would allow the rocks to cry out to praise you, Lord. I don't want a rock praising you for me. I want to call your name. Hallelujah. I want to give you the highest praise for all you've done, Lord. And I just bless your holy name. Lord, we ask you to remember Pastor this morning as he brings the word, Lord. Bless him and his household, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to walk through the hospitals and the nursing homes and homes, Lord, of all the sick and afflicted, Lord. We ask you to send comfort, Lord, to those who've lost someone and are grieving right now, Lord, we know that you are the comforter, Lord. We ask you to stop by there this morning as well, Lord. Lord, we ask you to walk through the streets of this, this, this entire country, Lord, where hatred and gun violence is the order of the day, Lord. We ask you to send your calming peace throughout the land, Lord. We just thank you this morning. We thank you for all things, Lord. We know that you are able and we know that you are the ultimate comforter, Lord. We ask you to go with us and guide us, Lord, as we make each step, each word today. Help us to be shining examples of you, Lord, this morning, Lord. Help us to show the love of Jesus Christ, Lord. This we ask in all other blessings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, our scripture this morning is going to be found in Hebrew chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Once again, that's Hebrew chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'll give you a couple of moments um, while you try to find that. Uh, following me, coming up next will be, uh, following our scripture, will be our brother Caleb Abrams, who will be bringing a moment in black history. Let's go to the word. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which is so which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. That word should go through you this morning. Hallelujah. Bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's the finisher of our faith. Nothing else needs to be done because he's done it all. Amen. 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 Now the next voice you will hear will be our brother Caleb Abrams with a Black History Moment. Have a blessed day. 
Good morning. I am pleased to present a Taylor Tabernacle moment in black history. Featured today is none other than Philadelphia's very own songbird, Marian Anderson. Born in the city of brotherly love on February 27th in 1891, Miss Anderson was a renowned American contralto. She performed a wide range of music from opera to what was then referred to as Negro spirituals throughout the United States and Europe between 1925 and 1965. Her father sold ice and coal at the Reading Terminal in downtown Philly. Her mother had attended the Virginia Seminary and College in Lynchburg and had been a teacher in Virginia, but because she was not degreed, was not allowed to teach in Philadelphia. Marion was the eldest of three children. Her two younger sisters also became singers. She attended South Philadelphia High School and applied to what is now the University of the Arts, but was denied because of her race. No blacks allowed. She later was granted 24 honorary doctoral degrees by many universities, including Howard, Temple, and Smith College. She was the first African-American to perform at the White House, which only occurred with the assistance of the then First Lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, and her husband, Franklin D. Roosevelt. She performed a critically acclaimed open-air concert on the Lincoln Memorial Steps on Easter Sunday, 1939. She sang before an integrated crowd of more than 75,000 and a live radio audience of millions. In 1955, Miss Anderson became the first African-American singer to perform on the Metropolitan Opera. The accomplishments that followed were numerous and many barriers were broken due, the, due to the persistence and fortitude of Marian Anderson. Although Miss Anderson spent much of her life living in Danbury, Connecticut, in a home built for her by her husband, Orpheus Fisher, and lived the last year of her life in Portland, Oregon, living with her nephew, conductor James DePriest. After her death at the age of 96, she returned home to Pennsylvania, where she is buried in Eden Cemetery in Collingdale. Thank you, and I'll now turn the service over to Pastor Jonathan E. Ford. Good morning, and God bless you. Hey, what a wonderful job uh, by Brother Caleb. Thank you for doing that, Caleb Forrest. Thank you for reminding us of the life and legacy of uh, of Marian Anderson, a great historian in Philadelphia. Well, good morning, Telling Nation. Thank you once again for joining us. Um, thank you for your uh, faithful attendance. Thank you for your attention and participation. Um, this Sunday, we're doing something uh, a little bit different uh, here in terms of the Word of God. Uh, we're, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be preaching or uh, uh, teaching uh, in a manner of speaking, but this Sunday, what I want to do is to answer publicly the questions that I have received regarding communion. Okay, since I started at the beginning of the year, I've often um, uh, indicated uh, if you had a question about communion, feel free to send it in. If you had a question about something I was teaching on the subject of communion, uh, send it in. And uh, at some point, I would uh, have taken an opportunity to address them. Now, unfortunately, unlike our platform that we use on Wednesday night, which allows for a little more interactive uh, discussion. Uh, the platform we use for our Sunday worship doesn't allow us to do that. And so that's why I asked you to send me your questions. 
and then I would answer them. Okay? And so that's, that's what we're going to do. I just, I have a handful of questions and I thank you for submitting them. And, uh, I always say, uh, every question is a good question. Uh, also that every question is also a question someone else has. So thank you for asking the questions. Because I know uh, if you're like me, oftentimes I'm grateful for them because the question the person asked is oftentimes the very question I had myself uh, and either had not asked it or in some instances were, were, uh, was afraid to ask it. So thank uh, all of you who submitted questions uh, over the past several weeks. And uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into it. Um, just open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, bless our time together. Thank you for questions and inquiries regarding this faithful audience. Help us to answer them in a way that builds up the body of Christ so that we might honor you. Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> so, uh, the first question that I'm going to start with, uh, this question was actually submitted uh, by Brother Inya Chaudhry. And I hope I'm saying his name correctly. We, we, we often uh, refer to him as Brother N. And many of you may remember he was a member of our congregation for a number of years. Uh, he was actually in uh, the United States on a work visa. Uh, but once, once his work was completed uh, and his uh, visa expired, he returned to the United Kingdom. Uh, he is also uh, the husband of uh, Talia Gladden. Uh, and uh, over these past number of years, even before the pandemic, he has remained a faithful participant to and on our broadcast. Even before we began live streaming, he would watch the delayed broadcast on our website and still participate. So I just thank him for his faithful participation and staying connected with the ministry. He oftentimes remarks how much of a blessing we are to him, uh, but I just want to say uh, what a blessing he is to me personally. And he often uh, submits questions to me about uh, what I have preached on or subjects I have taught and his level of commitment to understanding the word of God uh, is to be admired. So with that, here's Brother N's question. He said, I have a question regarding communion. Throughout the New Testament, uh, believers are referred to as the body of Christ. We are called to unity in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. There are many instances in the Bible where people are breaking bread, praying, and teaching together. This would lead me to believe that you should be taking communion with fellow believers. Since we're in the middle of a pandemic, am I able to take communion or loan, or should I just wait? Okay, so that is his question, and here is my response. Brother, uh, it says everything you stated above, uh, everything you stated about communion is true. And I want to thank you for listening to the sermon series. 
Believers are the body of Christ. The goal of communion is unity, and communion should be taken with fellow believers. In lieu of taking communion alone, I would encourage you to find a Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church and join them in participation of the communion service. As with everything else during this pandemic, many churches, ours included, have a virtual viewing option for their services, including their communion service. For Taylor Tabernacle, we invite those who cannot join us in person to join us virtually for communion. And we ask them to do that by setting aside the day before something to symbolically represent the bread, either bread itself or crackers, and wine, either wine itself or grape juice or some other form of juice, and to pray over those elements prior to and to confess their sins and then join us for communion on the first Sunday of every month. Okay? So that is my response to our first question. Now I'm going on to the second question that I have here. Does one have to wait for their congregation or pastor to take it? Does one have to wait for their congregation or pastor to take it and it being communion? And here is my response. Yes, communion is to be taken with other believers in the congregation as the goal of communion is in fact unity. Yes, the pastor serves not only as the officiant for the communion service, but also a visual reminder that our unity is not only with each other, but also with Christ himself. Remember Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Father, make them one as we are one, and make them one in us. Okay? And I'll just note on this particular question, uh, a number of people asked this question. This wasn't submitted by just one person. Actually, a couple people had the similar question. So um, I will say this. If if you are unable to come in person uh, for our communion services or to participate virtually, I would uh, remind you of this. Uh, we do it, a number of other churches do it. If you would like to have communion, all you simply have to do is call the church and make that request known. You can either call the church directly. Uh, you can contact the church via our website. Uh, or an option that many choose to use is you may, through your watch, care, deacon, or minister, make that request known. Um, and in that case, either I, as your pastor, or one of the ministers or deacons will come to you and serve you communion. Okay? If you would like to have communion, 
You're unable to participate with us either virtually or in person, but would like to have communion, simply let us know, okay? And we will come to you and have communion, okay? This is not new. This is a very common practice. Again, not just in our churches, but in many churches uh, around the world. Uh, it is part of our ministerial duties to make house calls, hospital visits, in many instances where people are physically unable to come to church or to get connected virtually uh, and um, will come and serve you communion, okay? So I think that I, I just want to highlight this is a great question. A number of people had it. I wanted to not only give my answer, but if you are listening this morning, uh, I just wanted to let you know that, that we will come and serve communion to you, okay? So thank you for that question. Going on to the next question. Is communion something believers can do among themselves? So it's somewhat related, but uh, in my response, best to be done among believers with an ordained minister uh, or, or pastor or with an ordained deacon and the proper consecration. By proper consecration, I'm talking about reverence, talking about humility, and a high level of seriousness. Okay? So again, can it be done uh, by yourself or just with a small group? Uh, I would strongly recommend having uh, an ordained minister or deacon present uh, to, to, to serve uh, the sacraments and that it be done with a high level of reverence, okay? Our next question. Why do some congregations take communion monthly? Yet there are other congregations that take communion once a year, okay? So, so that, that's the question, okay? So here's my response. The Bible does provide, does not provide a specific level of frequency, but only says as often as you do this. As a result, some churches celebrate communion weekly before their morning worship. Some celebrate communion monthly, like we do, and some celebrate communion quarterly. That frequency is determined by the local church leadership where believers are gathering. In any case, it's not the frequency that matters most, but the heart attitude of those who participate. We should partake with reverence, love, and a deep sense of gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was willing to die on the cross and take upon himself our sins. Okay? So that was a question about the frequency of communion. Okay? Uh, next question, very similar. Um, is there direction on how often it should be done? And I think I answered that above. There, the answer is no. There is no specific direction biblically as to how often 
you should do it, just that you should do it often, okay? And again, that is set by the local church leadership. Okay, here is another question that is uh, uh, a very good question, and also others, you know, a number of folks sent this in. The question is, who can take communion? Who can take or who can participate in communion? Very good question. Some churches practice a radically open communion in which they might call, uh, in which they might call, uh, uh, or what they might call an open table. This is an attempt to be fully inclusive. They invite everyone to participate in communion regardless of their spiritual standing or evidence of open sin. Most churches, however, place some restrictions on who can take communion. Most require at least a profession of faith in Christ. Many others require that the recipient be in good standing in the church. That is, he or she is not living in unrepentant sin. Some churches also require baptism prior to taking communion, and some require official church membership. Okay? So I'm just going to read that again. Who, who can take or who can participate in communion? Some churches practice a radically open communion, in which they in which they call an open table. This is done in an attempt to be fully inclusive. They invite everyone to participate in communion, regardless of spiritual standing or evidence of open sin. Most churches, however, place some restrictions on who can take communion. Most require at least a profession of faith in Christ. Most also require that the recipient be in good standing in the church, that is, that he or she is not living in unrepentant sin. Some churches also require baptism prior to communion, and some require official church membership. The Bible's teaching on the Lord's Supper, as you all know, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 34. In this instruction, it promotes participation for believers who are walking in fellowship with the Lord. All those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ are worthy to partake and participate in the Lord's Supper. Okay? Biblically, there are two types of people who should not participate in communion, okay? Biblically, there are two types of people who should not participate in communion. The first is the unregenerate, the unregenerated, and secondly is the unrepentant. 
communion should not be open to those who are not born again. Okay? I want to be clear. Communion should not be open to those who are not born again. Secondly, communion should not be open to those who are living in known, unconfessed sin. Okay? Communion should not be open to those who are living in known, unconfessed sin. Okay? Biblically, communion should not be limited uh, to a particular church or denomination. Communion is called the Lord's table. It's not our table or any particular church's or denomination's table. It's the Lord's table. What's important is that participants are born-again believers walking in fellowship with the Lord and with each other. Communion is a time of remembrance and a time of reflection. Before partaking of communion, each believer should personally examine his or her heart and their own personal motives. Okay? And so I, I've said a mouthful in response to that question. I'm so glad the question was asked. That's the reason, uh, one of many, that we're doing this series of teaching on communion so that we can all have this understanding so that we can take communion properly. And again, in response to that question, communion is not for everybody, okay? just want to be clear. It's not for everybody, okay? And again, the two types of people who should not take communion are the unregenerated. That simply means a person who has not accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That's what that means, unregenerated. You have not asked uh, uh, uh Christ to enter your life, to become your Lord and Savior, and as such, he has not regenerated your heart, meaning make it new. He's not done it. So your heart, my heart, whatever, you, you haven't placed your faith in Christ, it's unregenerated. It's still stony ground. It's thorny ground. It's hard ground. Uh, and, uh, and Christ and the Holy Spirit is not living there. So if you haven't done that, you should not take communion. Also, if you are a believer, you have accepted Christ. But at this point or this time in your life, if you are living uh, with known sin in your life and yet refuse to uh, uh, ask for forgiveness for that sin, then you should withhold your participation from the Lord's table, okay? And and to correct that, in both these situations, for the unregenerate, if they would like to participate in communion, they would simply need to know or have it explained to them that Christ died and that they 
uh, uh, are a sinner, and if they're willing to confess their sins and accept Christ into their heart, then they can have communion. For the believer who has unconfessed sin, just remind them that forgiveness is available. Okay? The Bible said if we just confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So uh, no one is uh, hindering you from taking communion except yourself, your own sin and your willingness to hold on to it is what disqualifies you from communion. Now, with all this being said, and I am drawing a line in the sand, and many of you are looking and saying, man, pastor's really taking a hard line on this. I want you to look at it from the other perspective, and I believe this is what Paul had in mind when he said in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. I got it here, I just want to read it. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till it comes. We talked about to proclaim, to make known, to, to tell, to share. Every time a congregation of believers come together and celebrate communion, we tell the story of the gospel in that simple service. Christ came, offered up his body, shed his blood, for the remission of sins for all who would believe in him. So the wonderful thing about drawing a line in a sand, one, we remain obedient to the word of God, and two, which is which is I just think is great, it opens a door for evangelism. So it creates an opportunity for those that are leading uh, the communion service, the officiant, the pastor, the minister, the deacon. And again, we, 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 we must be clear in this, not offensive in this, but clear of who communion uh, uh, is available to, to, uh, to the believer uh, who has confessed their sins, uh, that if you are a non-believer or unbeliever and you haven't accepted Christ, uh, if you are a believer but are living uh, with uh, unrepentant sin in your life, you should refrain from taking communion, right? And that has to lead one to ask, to say, you know, well, why am I disqualified? What what must, you know, why can't I take uh, communion? What a wonderful opportunity for either you or I to now explain to them the purpose of communion, and to share the gospel to all of our family members and friends that say, hey, why, did, why is your pastor saying, uh, he said, you can't participate if you're this or that. I, you know, when, and we can just ask, have you accepted Christ? No, I, I haven't accepted Christ. I don't, I didn't know I needed to. I didn't know why I have to. Now look what the Holy Spirit has done. He's given you and I an open door. Right? To share the gospel, to witness to them, right? And to see if they are receptive to accepting Christ, placing their faith in Him, and making Him Lord over their life. And to understand that this decision should be made not simply to have communion, 
but it should be done because they have heard something from the gospel that has pricked their heart. They feel condemned. They feel condemnation of their sin and now want to receive Christ and make him their savior. Okay? That, that's a win. Everybody wins in that regard. For, for the believer who has unconfessed sin, what a wonderful opportunity to say, hey, 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 brother, hey, sister, man, what you need to do is just confess. Get that sin out of you. Bring it before Christ. Ask for forgiveness uh, from Christ. If you have offended and harmed someone, the Bible says leave your gift at an offer and go get reconciled with them. Hey, why don't you get that thing, confess it, and then go ask for forgiveness. Go and apologize. Get that weight and guilt up off of you and out of your life. And instead of trying to live on top of it or act like it's not there or it doesn't exist, by taking communion, realize that there is now something between you and Christ and you don't want to dishonor his body. So, so put it down, confess that sin, get reconciled, and now come back and let's celebrate communion together. So the communion table, I don't want people to walk away in my, at my response and say, oh, it, it separates. No, it does the exact opposite. It provides the opportunity for greater union in the body of Christ. One, it welcomes in the unbeliever by giving them an opportunity to repent and accept Christ as their personal Savior. And it reclaims someone who may potentially uh, become a backslider. It reclaims them to the faith by not excluding them or pushing them out, but letting them know that we, just like them, have sins, have faults, have failures. But all we have to do is confess those sins, get reconciled with Christ, get reconciled with those that we have offended or hurt, and then we can come and again participate in the Lord's table. So again, what a great opportunity the communion service provides for us to promote unity and to build up the body of Christ. So again, I want you to walk away and say, hey, pastor took a hard line on it. And I only took a hard line on it because the Bible takes a hard line on it. But it doesn't do it to the exclusion of people. It does it and provides the opportunity to actually include many more people in the communion service. The word communion is related to union. Communion is a result of our union with Christ, the sharing of common thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Sharing in the death and burial of the Son of God is a foundational part of our salvation. And that death is symbolized in the ordinance of communion. If a person has no union with Christ, the act of taking communion has no significance to them. A person who has not been spiritually regenerated has no means by which to commune with God. Therefore, an unbeliever taking communion is practicing hypocrisy, and it may place that person in danger of God's judgment. For a child of God to take communion in a state of unrepentant sin is another form of hypocrisy. 
Whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Believers are to undergo a self-examination and so avoid God's discipline in their lives. Harboring sin in one's heart, refusing to be reconciled to a fellow believer, or stubbornly resisting to acknowledge one needs for forgiveness, especially given its availability, is a sign of a hard heart and not of common union with Christ Jesus. According to the Bible, those who take communion must be humble, born again, free of unconfessed sin, and living in obedience to God. For the converted, repentant sinner, the Lord's table is a welcome place of knowing that God's provision of God's provision and and resting in his grace. Okay? So I think uh that's 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 my whole response on that. So the next question that was submitted what does it mean to take communion in an unworthy manner? A lot of people have this question. What does it mean to take communion in an unworthy manner? Okay? Here's my response to the question. The concept of taking communion in an unworthy manner comes from a teaching by the Apostle Paul to the believers at the church at Corinth. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, is an act of worship meant to memorialize Christ's sacrifice and reflect the love and unity among members of the body of Christ. But in the case of the Corinthians, it was instead magnifying the divisions among them. As a result, some in the Corinthian church were participating in communion in an unworthy manner. Their public worship meetings were doing more harm than they were good. Communion should honor Christ at all times. Paul gave this blistering indictment of the Corinthians' practice. He said, so then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. The Corinthians communion service had become corrupted with selfishness, drunkenness, and discrimination against the poor. The participants were neither honoring God nor edifying one another in their celebrations. In the early days of the church, the Christians celebrated the Lord's Supper with feasts. Paul indicated that the Corinthians were favoring the wealthy and the privileged, but neglecting the poor. Some participants remained hungry while others got drunk, the Corinthians were publicly overindulging in their church services and discriminating against the poor. Their actions, Paul said, were equivalent to despising the church of God. 
Paul then reminded the the Corinthians how to properly observe communion, stressing that the central focus of the celebration is to remember Christ's sacrifice and proclaim his work of salvation. In essence, when people outside the church observe a unified body of believers eating and drinking to remember Christ's broken body and spilled blood, the message of the gospel becomes visible. Paul hoped that reminding them of the Lord's simple and straightforward instructions would lead the Corinthians to correct their bad and improper behavior regarding the Lord's table. After his reminder of what communion is all about, Paul said, so anyone who eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. The phrase, in an unworthy manner, refers in general to harboring unconfessed sin while participating in the Lord's Supper. Confession of sin is a beneficial practice to prepare one's heart for worship. In fact, we are told to examine ourselves before we partake of communion. Paul was probably, Paul probably had something more specific at the forefront of his mind because of the many violations in the Corinthian church. The unworthy manner Paul had in mind was most likely a failure to express the love and unity of the body of Christ. The problem he had just addressed. Those who selfishly promoted divisions in the church, regardless of what the divisions were, he says, uh, were guilty of a serious offense. Okay, why? The goal of communion is what? Unity. So anything or anybody that is promoting division, okay, is a serious offense. They were dishonoring the very purpose of communion, which is to honor and remember the Lord's work of salvation on the cross. Those who partake of communion in an unworthy manner are guilty of sinning against the body and the shed blood of our Lord. That is, they are showing irreverence or contempt for that which is to represent the body and blood of Christ. They are, as he so famously says, not discerning of the Lord's body, which means they are acting indifferently towards communion as if it was just another meal or another service. Paul went on to teach the Corinthians how they could avoid taking communion unworthily by examining their motives and actions and making sure they lined up with the significance of the Lord's Supper. They were to perform this self-examination in preparation for eating and drinking to avoid bringing God's discipline upon themselves. Paul stressed that the Lord's Supper should be a time of celebration for the church in which Christians focus on honoring Jesus, exhibiting unity, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The focus ought to be on others and not on one's self. In this manner, believers avoid taking communion un.
worthily. Okay? I've, I've said a lot. That's, that's a mouthful, but I wanted to get, get it in there because this is, uh, probably one of the most common questions about communion when that portion of scripture is read, uh, about taking communion in an unworthy manner. So I hope my response here today, uh, I hope what we have been teaching over the port, uh, the past couple of weeks, uh, is it all in an attempt to bring clarity and understanding around the significance and importance of communion. So like I said at the very beginning of the year, that we can begin to take communion right. Or as Paul says, in a worthy manner. Okay? Good. So one more question. Uh, uh, I see I'm almost out of time, but we have one more question. I want to get this one in. It's a great, great question. It's a great question uh, for our young people. And I just want to thank uh, all of our young people, one, uh, for participating with us. Uh, I know you guys want to be back at the church and seeing each other and hanging out, and we're, we're getting there. But uh, but I really want to thank you for participating on the online experience. Many of our young people are on. Many of our young adults are on. Our teenagers, Wiley, thank you guys for hanging out and being a part of our online uh, uh, services. And thank you to all our young people who are who are actually participating in our online broadcast. Uh, thanks to Caleb. Thanks to Jacob. Thanks to you know all the other people. Uh, Jackson, I meant to say Jackson, he'll be up next, but, um, but here it is. Here's the question. When, sh when should children be baptized or allowed to take the Lord's Supper? That's the question. When should children be baptized and or allowed to take the Lord's Supper, participate in communion? While some churches have requirements for children to attend Bible classes for instruction and doctrine and the meaning of the ordinances, both communion and baptism, before being allowed to participate, some churches do not. Whatever the case may be, it is wise for parents, for parents to instruct and prepare their children for baptism and communion. Ultimately, the instruction of children in the ways of God is the responsibility of the parent, and the church is there to support them. Before taking communion, the main requirement for all children, as with adults, is that they have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Even though some children make this uh, salvation decision, at an early age, being baptized and partaking of the Lord's Supper should not be rushed into. As a child matures in its faith and it is evident that he or she is truly born again, their father or mother or a church pastor uh, should be of the perspective as to when he or she is ready to understand and participate in communion. The spiritual maturity level of one child differs from that of another, even sometimes in the, not sometimes, but even in the same family. In many churches, when parents of a child make it known to the pastor 
that he or she is wanting to be baptized, the pastor speaks with the child to decide if he or she is ready. That is a good and wise practice. It is vitally important that a child understand that neither baptism or communion saves him or her, but rather they are steps of obedience and remembrance of what Jesus did for us in, in providing our salvation. Okay? Um, so in a nutshell, because this is a common question, uh, uh, again, we, 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 we've already laid the line on who should not participate, the unregenerated or the unsaved and the unrepentant, uh, the believers uh, who have unconfessed sin. And so children fall into that category most often because they are what? They're unregenerated. <clears throat> Uh, and though they may have grown up in the church and their parents are in the church, that does not mean that they themselves have personally accepted Jesus Christ. And again, this is a great opportunity as parents to begin to teach our young children. And again, it opens the door of opportunity uh, um, Church is not the only place where you can get saved, I mean, confess your sins. It can be done at home, at the kitchen table. It can be done at home, upstairs, in the child's bedroom. They want to give their life to Christ, accept him as, they, as their personal Savior, then they can do that anywhere and at any time. And after they have done that, then they are more than welcome uh, not only to participate in communion, but to also be baptized as a public outshowing of their confession and their faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So I hope um, those responses have, again, provided uh, a level of clarity. I hope it's provided a another level of understanding as we preach and teach on the subject of communion, uh, the subject of the Lord's table. I want to thank you all for the questions that that you sent in. Uh, it, let, it lets me know I'm in the right area. You know what I mean? Your, your questions, your response uh, to what we have uh, been doing is the indication that the Holy Spirit has me going down the right path. So thank you uh, for that. And let me just close by just saying, uh, uh, and just lifting up what the communion service does, right? It says what? For as often you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim, tell the story of the Lord's death until he comes. And so uh, let me just, the opportunity before we close, if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, if you are uh, a believer but are living with unconfessed sin, why not take advantage of the time we have right now, right here on this board crash, you in your home, me in my home, and give your life to Christ. Whether you're a young person and saying, you know what, Pastor, I've been in church all my life, but I've never accepted him, you can do it today. Uh, uh, you may be on the line and say, Pastor, I've been in church, I've been saved a long time, 
but there are some things that have happened to me during this season in my life or during the pandemic, and I'm just, uh, it's got me messed up. I done messed up some other people, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm not telling anybody about it. I'm not talking about it. And that may be true, but you never realize that you could be taking communion in an unworthy manner. Why not confess that now? Why not get that out now? Why not receive the forgiveness that is readily available by the blood of Jesus Christ? You can be forgiven today. Your sins, your faults, your failures, you can accept Christ in, and you can begin to take communion in a worthy manner. Begin to honor the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's going to close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. For in fact, this is the day that the Lord has made. Hallelujah. We rejoice and are glad in it. And we rejoice and are glad because of the provision of salvation. We thank you for your body. We thank you for your shed blood and for the knowledge that we do not have to die in our sin and be forever separated from God. Father, I pray that something not only today but over the past weeks have been said and shared with our online audience that caused the sinner to say, what must I do to be saved? To cause the unrepentant to say, Lord, forgive me. That is my hope. That is my prayer request today. And I thank you in advance, Holy Spirit, for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you again, Taylor Nation, uh, for chiming in. Again, thanks for your questions and inquiries regarding this teaching on communion. And at this time, we're going to transition in our service. Uh, and we are now going to move into our time of giving, led by our brother Jackson Ford. Uh, good morning, Taylor Tabernacle family and friends. At this time, we will gather to worship through giving. This morning, you may give through one of three ways, including to text, give, online giving through our website, or also by using the U.S. Postal Mail. To give by text message, Text the code Taylor61 to the phone number 73256 and you will receive a link in instructions. To give to our website, please go to taylortabernacle.com slash giving and follow the instructions. To, to give by U.S. mail, please send check or money order to Taylor Tabernacle P.O. Box 6309 Philadelphia, PA 191. As always, we thank you for your continued support of our ministry. And now on to Sister Katanja with the announcements. Good morning. Today is February the 20th. Here are our remaining announcements for February. Uh, we will continue to be in virtual uh, mode until the end of the month. We're working on going back to church the first um, Sunday in March. More details will follow. Wednesday night prayer and Bible study, 7 to 8 p.m. via our Google Meet. Next Sunday, February 27th, is our Sunday of Hope for St. Jude. 
and our Kappa Alpha Psi will be in attendance. And finally, with our Girl Scouts, um, please support our girls as um, Kendi has exceeded her goal. So we are now pushing to help Zoe and Zaya get into the 500 Club. Together, they must sell 800 boxes to get into this club, and they're halfway there. So please um, share the links um, you'll see on the screen to your friends and family. Donations count as well. They are at 417, I believe. So we want to push this so they can um, get into that club. And as always, we thank you so much for your support of our Girl Scouts. Now to our pastor for the benediction. Well, thank you all once again um, for your attendance. Thank you for joining us uh, on our online platform. Um, before I close, I just want to say a couple things. One, uh, I just want to say thank you uh, to everyone who uh, remembered my birthday. So thank you for uh, the cards. Thank you for the texts, the emails, the calls, everything. Um, I, I really, I really appreciate it. Folks were wondering. That's why the, the last, I think February 12th is my birthday. So last Sunday and the Sunday before, uh, Reverend Curitan was so grateful to fill in for me, give me uh, a break, some time off, uh, and a chance to celebrate my birthday. So again, that's all I wanted to say was say thank you. Uh, to all of that, and I want to say this, uh, tell this funny, it's funny to me, it may not be funny to you, a story regarding uh, my birthday and remembering it. So I was with uh, my son Jackson, uh, it must have been towards the, end of the beginning of the month, and he was, we were talking about something, and I somehow Feb, the date February 12th came up. And when I said it, he was like, it, it shocked him. He remembered something. He was like, oh yeah, my buddy, um, is having a, a birthday party on February 12th. I was like, oh yeah. He was like, yeah, that's whatever. We're all going to go and hang out and all that. So it was cool. So I asked him, I said, well, is there anything else special about February 12th or anything along those lines? And, uh, he said, um, is it President Roosevelt's birthday too, or something? I said, I said, Jackson, no, it's my birthday. Your father's birthday, February twelfth. So that that that, it, like I said, it was funny to me. It may not be funny to you, but uh, that's how it goes for dad sometimes. Uh, but in spite of it all, my kids, my wife, everyone, we had a great time celebrating my birthday. And again, I just want to say thank you to my church family for remembering my birthday as well. Hey, I want I want to get this, and hopefully we'll get the information out next week as well. What I want to do next Sunday, I'm going to close out the communion series. I'm actually going to be teaching, uh, 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 I'm going to be preaching a sermon um, in and around feet washing that Jesus did uh, on that very same night. Uh, that he instituted communion. And as such, hear me on this, I'm asking everyone who participates in our live broadcast next Sunday 
that at the conclusion of service, I want you and whoever is in your home to participate in um, a brief feet washing ceremony, okay? Because of the pandemic and, uh, you know, being in church, not being in church, and, you know, everything else going on, we have not celebrated feet washing um, as we normally do. We don't do it every communion. We usually do it once a year around during Holy Week. Uh, and we may or may not get back to this year. Obviously, things are still changing. But I would love, because that's, that's really what I'm going to be preaching on next Sunday, at the conclusion of service, I'm going to ask everyone in your own home uh, if you would have a brief feet washing ceremony. So just get you a basin, some water, and a towel, and just give everyone an opportunity to wash each other's feet. Nothing elaborate, just like we do when we're at church, to sprinkle some water. You only got to do one foot, not both. This is not, we're not talking Manny and Petty's here. We just want <laughs> to. Show, show some love and concern. So again, that'll be on next Sunday. And, and again, I got to get that out there. Um, I failed to get it into the announcements, but I'm, I'm announcing it now. We'll, we'll re- send out some reminders during the course of the week, but that'll be for next Sunday, uh, as well. Okay. And as, um, Cassandra mentioned, uh, Lord's willing, uh, the plan is for us to be back in the sanctuary. That first Sunday in March, March 6th, uh, the church will be uh, open again uh, for in-person worship. We will ask you to come wearing a mask. We will ask you to make sure you're healthy and all that good stuff. We're still going to be taking temperatures and doing the contact tracing, but we are going to reopen. And how, how, how wonderful that after a series on communion, we can reopen on communion, and watch this, put into practice everything we have heard and learned. Amen? Everything we have heard and learned since the beginning of the year. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope you get excited about it. In two weeks, we'll be back in church, and we'll uh, kick it off again with the celebration of communion. So I think that's all I just wanted to say uh, and share with you. Again, thanks for uh, for being here and being with us. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you is my prayer. Okay? God bless you, Taylor Nation. Take care. See you next Sunday.